Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Energy News Beat Podcast. My name is Stu Turley, President and CEO of the Sandstone Group. We got us an action-packed show today. I'll tell you, it's just not a normal action-packed show. We got a fantastic show. Uh, we're going to be talking about brutal minds, the dark world of left-wing brainwashing of our universities by Stanley K. Ridgely, PhD. There's the book. For our podcast listeners, if you're on YouTube, there it is. I want to just start with this one paragraph for praise for brutal minds. If you're scratching your head as to allow radicals, how radicals could have seized control in Washington and all, and of America media while defaming American democracy as white supremacist nightmare, look no further than the left's transformation of American universities into an ideological boot camps for Marxist treachery. Brutal Minds is a model of clarity and straight talk about this national tragedy whose destructive energies have yet to run their course. How this fits into energy is our discussion and how it fits into how everything else. Uh, welcome, Stanley, Dr. Ridgely. I so much appreciate you for taking the time. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk uh, about these important issues with your audience things that I feel very strongly about and that I know you feel strongly about as well. I'll tell you what, um, if there was ever a, a person that you could imitate, you could be a heck of a Donald Trump in, impersonator. For our podcast <laughs> listeners, that very uh, sharply dressed uh, and everything else, got, got some beautiful hair. Me, I got the flesh color going on here, so... I can tell you, I've never heard that Donald Trump comparison before. <laughs> no, I hear it all the time. And of course, the other guy wears the navy blazer and the, the red tie as well. So I think he's imitating me. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I think so. I don't know that he's a published author. I, well, he's had some books with his names on him. The Art of the Deal, that kind of thing. Trump oh, that's that kind of, yeah. right. That's he a classic. But he didn't write them. I feel sure he did not. <laughs> Let's get him on the podcast to talk about it. But anyway, I think we ought to both of us so you could compare the two. Uh, um, to start off the discussion and how this applies to energy and how it applies, let's start on what prompted you to write Brutal Minds and tell us a little bit about that process. Well, it's a convoluted story, and I'm not, not going to tell you the entire tale, but it was, I, I focused in on a different topic, the influence of critical theory or neo-Marxist theory on American management, because I teach right. in a management uh, department. And I, I began to see the tendrils and the, uh, the initial forays into management and capitalism by these uh, socialistic uh, neo-Marxist uh, theorists. And as I began to explore and, and, and follow the bibliographical trail, and it, it took me about six years, uh, I saw uh, emerging from my own research the book that you have in your hands right now. Uh, it became, yeah, Brutal Minds. Uh, it was actually an organic creation that sprang from my research. So in other words, what you have in your hands there, what Brutal Minds is all about, is the tale of the American university's decline in the words of the folks who are engineering that decline. It's not what oh. I say. It's not why I accuse. No. It's not what I'm, I'm saying about what they say. This is what they say that they're doing. And it verifies yeah. and substantiates that they are indeed doing it. And energy is a great uh, part of that. It is. Uh, and it's part of the uh, energy hypocrisy, both in the ESG investing as well as everything else. And I, before the, the thing, I want to give everybody, I want to give you, Stanley, a shout out for your LinkedIn and other ones. People need to follow you on LinkedIn. I do like your post out there and, and or Twitter or wherever else I found you because it was a lot of fun reading your posts out there as well, too. So go follow you and get your book. But here's 
education. And, and I think one of the big things is energy poverty is real around the world. And one of my biggest beliefs is that we need to deliver the lowest kilowatt per hour to everyone on the planet. Let's do it using the least amount of uh, impact on the environment and sustainable lowest power. Okay. I don't care. We use solar, wind, nuclear, does not matter. Let's use oil. Let's use gas, but it's sustainable. Now, I sent you that article with all the universities and that structure is going on that they're teaching that you talk about in the book that they're teaching green, but yet they all run coal power plants. The the Reuters story was amazing. It had like a hundred campuses, whatever it was, and they're running some that were as old as 1950 in their power plants. So yeah, I, I think what you've just described in the article that you did send me, which exemplifies the hypocrisy we find in the university of, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Um, that kind of is captured in the short video clip I saw this the other day. I think it's the, the Swedish prime minister. I'm not sure it's a female uh, yeah. where she arrives uh, by private transport to private jet, private motorcade to, right. a, to a climate uh, change conference gets out of her vehicle and rides the last hundred meters on a bicycle for the photo op to, to show that she is indeed practicing uh, what she's preaching. While out of sight of the media, she's actually flying in a private jet and a private motorcade. And that kind of exemplifies what uh, you focused on in the article that you sent me about how universities are preaching green and yet practicing to, to insulate themselves from the effects of their preaching and their policies. Uh, they don't want to rely upon a grid that uh, that itself relies upon with solar and intermittent wind generation. Yeah. No, they want to rely upon coal to fuel their own their own uh, uh, power plants for the university campus, so that they're not really affected by the policies that they themselves are are preaching. You know, it, it's amazing to me. I saw that same one and I actually got so tickled because they're sitting there and they were on e-bikes. Yeah. And, and the e-bikes, uh, you know, the lithium has to be created yes. and, and all the kids are in the Congo and right, uh, right. It, it's horrible. But in the university setting, you you mentioned that they tell us what they're doing. They tell us how they're going to do it and then they go do it. Yes. How did that start because when I went to Oklahoma State, it was a whole different animal back then. Yeah. Well, Stuart, I have to tell you, I I, I can't explain their um my colleagues in the faculty's inability to to see this and believe that this is what these folks are doing, the bureaucrats are doing. I had a conversation with a one of my colleagues, brilliant young man. He's uh, he's from Germany. He's a German uh, management right. scholar and uh spoke to him about the theme of of brutal minds. And I said this is what they're saying that they're going to do. They want to quote right. Boldly transform higher education. Now, these are not faculty saying this. These are bureaucrats that are saying it. They're going to boldly transform higher education. I I don't know the one who asked them to to do this. They don't have any plans to consult the faculty with this transformation. And and they have no mandate to transform. So I said this. Right. To my colleague, he says, well, you know, this, this transformation could be could be, you know, consist of many different things, kind of a knee jerk reaction against what I was saying. I said, well, that's fine, except they tell us exactly how they're going to transform the university. It's laid out right here. Do you agree with this? Well, right. and you have this uh, this disinclination. Right. This wedded, you know, this investment in the belief of the university is kind of the way it always has been. The, the old university right. at, Ohio, at Oklahoma State that you were talking about. And, and, and my own experiences at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hills, an undergraduate many, many years ago. 
Yep. So uh, uh, I, I really can't explain it. And the only thing we can do is continue to present fact-based, right? Fact-based, uh, uh, I would say, uh, uh, tracks like my own, brewing right. minds that are grounded in sound research, sound theory that shows right. in their own words what they're trying to do and make yeah. them acknowledge it, make them publicly uh, justify it. And for the most part, I would say get that information out to parents, students, right. donors, and alumni. Do you see um, there's about 16 things I keep I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm, I'm going right. round and round in my head squirrel. And, and so how are, are you the only guy at the faculty lunchroom sitting in the corner and nobody will talk to you? Is that <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, are you ostracized? No, I, well, not not overtly, I would say there's no we don't have a faculty lunch and we're not, okay. we're not blessed like that. OK, but I will tell you this. Uh, I, I cleared a I cleared a table at a banquet uh, for suggesting certain things, because I you know all the folks who come to the university usually train in from the suburbs. I live in West Philadelphia, about a mile from the campus in a right, uh, which is a very uh, it's, it's, it's a poor neighborhood. Right. Um, and I choose to live here for the convenience of it. But I had first firsthand experience of the life that goes around the university. Uh, right. My view is not tainted from, you know, by I'm here during the day, but then I train home to the suburbs. And the things oh. that I was saying was based on my personal experience. And they basically one after, one after the other got up and left the table, which I, I celebrated because then I had the table all to myself. So I, that's knew I liked you. <laughs> that, you know, I, I kept I kept telling the truth. Right. I kept telling the truth and not living the lie, as I say in Brutal Minds, when I, 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 yep. I quote, Vaclav Havel, the playwright of uh, that uh, was persecuted in, in Czechoslovakia and later became the first president of the Czech Republic, says you have to stop living the lie. And once you tell the truth, right. all bets are off and you will certainly become the target of, of a lot of attacks. Kind of like I believe it was John Kerry. Was it yesterday or day before when he uh, told the committee that he didn't own a plane? <laughs> He's kind of like dodging it. You know, you know, you could probably make a case as, you know, as a circumlocutus case that he maybe he doesn't really own it. You know, he's leasing it. There's some other there's some other attachment. But the idea that he's going to say something like that uh, and expect people to believe it is, is incredible. Isn't it? Oh, and I used it one time. Good grief. All right. Let's, let's leave that knucklehead alone. In your book, I absolutely love. Did I just call him a knucklehead? I'm sorry if I did. I just, that was like a Tourette's kind one of, of America's thing. best and brightest, don't you know? Oh, geez. Al Gore, he's another one, right? Oh, my goodness. The man bear pig. What a knothead. You know what, what bugs me is, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll stop that there. In your book, I love your writing style. And I also love the way that you say what you're going to do. And at the end, the conclusion says, this is what I talked about. So as a true professor, you're over there going, students, here's what we're going to talk about. And then by the way, you tell them again at the end of it, I like, I like your book on that, but I got some things here. Now, the history of cancel culture, I thought that was phenomenal. I had never thought about it until I read your part on the Romans. What happened there? Tell us about how cancel culture got started. Well, I give some uh, kind of uh, uh, arresting examples in that chapter that you're referring to and, and to say to, to expect the people to um, that uh, we can trust these folks who are canceling folks to, to to give us to give us a hearing. Right. To give these people the power to to say yes or no to the uh, the reigning orthodoxy and they'll make room for us. And I, I talk about how the, the barbarians, can we trust the barbarians who come in and oust the Romans and trust that they're going to provide a safe space for Roman culture, that they're going to provide a place where we can talk about 
uh, a great art where we can talk about the Roman accomplishments or are we going to right. expunge them from history? Same thing with with uh, the Cultural Revolution in China. Uh, can we expect uh, the, you know the the Maoists to come in? They're going to destroy the statues. They're going to torture the professors, which is exactly what they did. Can we trust right. them to create a safe space uh, to, uh, to for Chinese uh, for ancient Chinese culture? Uh, right. We can discuss these ideas. No, the oppressors and the um, the folks who would destroy our existence simply by virtue of the ideas that we express has always been uh, prevalent. Has always been you know right there. We look at the uh, the history of the Inquisition, the idea right. of speaking. The idea of speaking and writing against the reigning orthodoxy was severely punished throughout the the, the Middle Ages uh, right. by burning at the stake, by torture, and it's primarily that's the perfect example of simply ideas being being dangerous. So this idea of cancel culture that is as it, it is real, it right. is part of a long history of this type of suppression of uh, heretical ideas. And so once you find the totalitarians get the upper hand, when the authoritarians right. get the upper hand, there will be no safe space. And Vaclav Havel mm-hmm. knew this, Arthur Kessler knew this, Alexander Solzhenitsyn knew this, um, Joseph Brodsky right. knew this. I think we should listen a lot to the uh, Eastern Europeans and Southern Europeans who have emigrated to the United States, who have lived under yes. Lezek Kalikowski, and, and they can talk from their own experience of what happens when the authoritarians gain control. Yes, uh, I worked at Intel for 12 years and Andy Grove had uh, imported and he knew that as well, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let me just interject, uh, but you brought up the Andy Grove. His yeah. par- only the paranoid survive is um, a wonderful a demonstration of that I use in my uh, one of my classes on, on strategy. The idea of right. how you recognize an inflection point and then marshal your forces to, to meet that challenge in the in the business world. He was in a very interesting cat. Uh, now, I didn't work. Uh, with him directly, but one time in a uh, big meeting, of, I mean, it was a big sales meeting, and 20 years ago, uh, he says the voice will be the next uh, interface. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty brilliant. Mm-hmm. My idiot coworker next to me asks Andy Grove that same question again. He jumps off the stage, runs over, and starts pointing at me and going, weren't you listening to my presentation? And I'm like, no, I, I'm Mr. Teflon. I go, and that that gentleman is, he's fired within an hour. And wow. you, you don't mess around with Andy Grove. And well, that's a very, uh, you know, a very military way of doing things where there's not a lot of room for slippage. And he was very successful. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And and so anyway, now back to with the cancel culture last year, I said that the 2023, we would see a big awakening of people saying, wait a minute, climate change may not be as big of a crisis. Investing like BlackRock had uh, lost one point seven trillion dollars last year in the first half of the year because of their ESG investments. Investors are starting to wake up and stuff. What are you seeing in the university areas? Is there starting to be any kind of pushback to the leftness? Is there going to be any any acceptance? What are you seeing as far as the temperature? Let me rephrase this just a hair. And that is because in your book, you also talk about the sub, not the professors, but the support staff also getting into the brainwashing as well. I, not, I guess brainwashing was maybe not the right word, but it's a whole culture. Do you see any change coming in the culture possibly? I see absolutely no change coming in the culture. And I hate to be a pessimist on this, unless, <laughs> unless the, <laughs> unless the 
recipe for reform that I lay out in Brutal Minds is somehow enacted. And that comes from the ground up. There are two solutions to the problem. One is long-term, which is, is what we're seeing in Florida. It's what we're seeing in Texas and Virginia. It's the idea of outside pressure by the folks who hold the purse strings uh, exerting oversight that is missing. Right. Oversight in the universities uh, that is missing. The other solution is more short-term and immediate, and that is what parents and students themselves can do with the support of, of alumni. And information, of course, is the actual, <clears throat> is the first step in the solution, because right, right. now there's a reigning myth about what the university is all about. And perpetuation of that myth that the university really hasn't changed in the last 20, 30 years is right. Part and parcel of what's going on right now. Now, do I hear or see anything in the university where I work that this is that there's an awakening? No, what I see is a doubling down on DEI. I see a doubling down on sustainability and that kind of right. thing. And as I've said before, there's you know, sustain. What's sustainability? Well, sustainability. Say sustainability. Click your heels three times, and voila, you've got renewable energy at, in endless quantities. That that's that's kind of the virtue of uh, the the the. It doesn't happen. No, it doesn't happen. No, nor does chanting positive valence words like uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, uh, which have, they're really amorphous. They're, they're kind of cult-like sayings. I, you know, if you look at the Moonies, you look at the Unification Church, and their, their uh, mm -hmm. mantra is peace and unity. But there is no anti-peace and unity movement out there. That so who could be against peace and unity? Like right. Inclusion and belonging. Well, who's against inclusion and belonging? No one. How do you right. measure that? You can't, except by negation, except by someone who's, who's supposedly, well, that person right. didn't make me feel included and in that I belonged. And suddenly someone is, is brought up before an inquisition okay. of some sort. So you know, the, I think the biggest problem we have as Americans, sorry for interrupting, Stanley, but the biggest problem we have as Americans is you and I can sit here and have a talk. I can pretend I'm talking to Donald Trump and I'm somebody famous. But really, you can have we can have an adult conversation and say, here's some problems. I may agree with you. I may not. but We have a conversation. How are you employed with your attitude in the university? Because I love your attitude. We got to have some conversations. How do you talk to folks that don't want to have a conversation. Well, I usually don't talk about the kinds of things that you find in Brutal Minds because I'm a business professor and the, the courses that I teach are in entrepreneurship, management, uh, information, techno technology, uh, innovation. I teach okay. strategy and competitive advantage. I don't teach a course in Brutal Minds. I probably ought to. I don't teach uh, well, business communications, another one, international business is another one. And my personal views and my research on another topic stays out oh. of these classrooms because I believe in the Max Weber's notion of the neutral classroom, classroom neutrality. And I don't use it as a bully pulpit to propound ideas that have absolutely nothing to do with what I'm being paid. See, now that's what college is all about. I happen to agree with that. I, I love that. You, you will know, find on the campus that there are a lot of people who don't believe that. They believe that it is there. They the, the ubiquitous they people right. who subscribe to the idea of uh, that they are somehow scholar practitioners. This is what they call it. Scholar right. practitioners imbued with critical consciousness, which means that they can peer into society and see the relations of power, right. or privilege, that kind of thing. Whereas you, Stuart, and I cannot. Right. We are we have false consciousness. And right. it's part of this narcissistic, uh, imperious uh, attitude that somehow they right. are imbued with superior perception. So, yeah. Uh, uh, see, I, I don't care uh, what if you're a human, I want to talk to you and respect, period. I don't right. care where you're from. I don't care about anything else. If you're a human. I'm a humanitarian. 
I want to help you. I help the homeless. Help I, my Africa is one of my biggest pet peeves. And that is why is the West trying to stuff down energy policies that will drive the energy prices up? Let's help them. Well, I will tell you, uh, Stuart, my fundamentals that I, I, I ground all of my classes in are merit, fairness, equality, and respect. Nice. So wait, that, that's what Merit, fairness, equality, and respect. And that's how I deal with people. I insist on that type of dealing in the classroom. Right. You know, it's, the, it's kind of a basic the golden rule. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. It's the only politics right. I've ever needed. And that's how my classes are, are, are how they function. So now, back to your, your, your yeah. idea that there is, uh, is there anyone, I will tell you. I was having a conversation with someone the other day in the hallway about uh, the fact that Philadelphia has high taxes, high crime, a 24% poverty rate. And right. the, the, the salient fact here is that we've been under de- under Democrat rule for 70 years, uninterrupted. Right. And the person I'm dealing with is a very bright person, says that, uh, well, you know, I look at Republican and Democrat. Those are just labels. I said, I, I, what? Are, are you telling me that the, the result we have today would be the same have we had had if we had had 70 years of Republican rule? I said, no, no. Republican and Democrat are portfolios of policy prescriptions, and they almost n- none of them overlap. And so what you said to me is that there would be no difference had we had a different portfolio of policy prescriptions regarding crime and the economy and taxation. And we would have a different we would have the same result today. Right. Says it's a matter of personal corruption. This blind spot absolutely floored me that I was hearing this from a young faculty member here in 2023. It was absolutely. But let me just interject something I forgot to say. You asked me how I came to this book, uh, how I survive or whatever, because, you know, I've always been a living living kind of guy and I deal in 2020 motivated me because I saw the, the great facade, the great fraud that was was perpetrated on America during the summer of 2020 with the riots and with universities exhibiting this obsequious uh, attitude of ideologues who insisted on imposing programs in the universities around the country uh, based on the idea that we somehow were responsible for what happened in Minneapolis in March of 2020. I thought that was that was just absolutely absurd. And yet I look around and I see university presidents right and left going, you know, testing the breeze and going with the wind. And I said, you know what? Someone has to say something. Maybe if I say something, other people will stand up and say something about this. It's absurd. It's twaddle. Right. And yet, very few people, if anyone, have openly said anything. A lot of people say it behind, you know, behind right. that kind of thing. And so I decided to take the kid gloves off. You know, I'm not going to play any. Right. There's not going to be any kind of midcourt. These folks, I should tell you, do not want to compromise. These folks being the ideologues that I talk about right. in minds. They're out to win. Yes. They're not, they're not, they're not traditional liberals. I love my traditional no. liberal friends who like oh. to talk just like you. Yeah, I love them. But these are not the people. These are uncompromising ideologues subject to a primitive ideology of yep. binary of villains and victims that yep. is based on the color of your skin, period. Yep. And there's no compromising with that. Well, let me ask you this. As we sit here and we roll to solutions, the only way that we're going to get on the other end of this peacefully is if we all get along. And if we all listen to each other and you and I just talked about a minute ago, what the biggest problem with energy is there's no workers coming up behind us. Right. Your solution in the book that you talked about it, it's going to fall on deaf ears right now. How do we implement your solution? Well, uh, 
the solution that I talked about that I was referring to with you in our prior conversation is the idea that where other people see an obstacle, uh, smart people, strategic right. minded people see a, see a, a, an opportunity for themselves. Right. I, I'll give you a, a kind of a parallel analog situation. I, you know, millennials who came right. through as a cohort a couple of years ago from, you know, they had a reputation. Deserve it or undeserve it of being, you know, slackers, not having a good work right. ethic. Right. I described this to them. I said, look, if you know that your group, your cohort, your generation has a reputation for, for being slackers and no work ethic, then right. this is an opportunity for you to position yourself individually right. as having a fantastic work ethic. I don't mean by you know, thumping your chest and saying, hey, look at me, I have a good work ethic. Right. No, but by saying and communicating with potential employers, everything that you communicate, your punctuality, right. listening and, and dedication, uh, commitment to my teammates, all of it shows that you have a work ethic. You will position yourselves advantageously. Now, the same way for that for to solve the problem that you just talked about is right. there, it's the same thing when the blue ocean, I think it was the blue ocean horizon, the blue, what was it? The yeah. uh, exploded in the oh, yeah. Uh, blue, right? Yeah. The blue horizon. Uh, yep. That that oil rig, you know, that was under uh, not yeah. really British Petroleum, but really Transocean ran that thing. And so I said to my students then, "Will you work for BP?" And they said, "Oh no, no, it's a terrible company." I said, "Well, listen to yourself, okay? Five right. years, no one's going to even remember this, uh, except maybe the movie." I said, right. "On the other hand, if you position yourself as someone who wants to jump aboard BP and say, hey, I want to be outside.'" Giving that message that BP is a great company, it wasn't right. BP's fault, it, and they did their best to solve that problem, and I want to communicate right. that. You will find yourself rocketing up the career ladder, same way right. with fossil fuels today. Fossil fuels are here to stay, yeah. as you said. Now, you position yourself as willing, ready, willing, and able to, to tell the fossil fuel message uh, and that you're going to jump aboard right. the ship against the climate change characters who have tried to elevate this Really, what we know is to be a, right. uh, a natural phenomenon and has been for, you know, thousands of years, as my wife would right. say, and, and turn that into a crisis of some sort. Right. Uh, you know, if you want to listen to those people and, and, and jump aboard that train and be, you know, march along like with all the other sheep and lemmings uh, that uh, you're going to work on sustainability instead say, hey, what? Why don't we go over here and look at oil, gas, even nuclear and say, hey, right. cheap sustainable uh, energy, plentiful right. cheap energy is the way that human beings have lifted themselves out of poverty for exactly. centuries. Right. And it's not going to stop doing that now. In fact, what you're going to do is you're going to depress and suppress people and keep them in poverty by uh, aligning yourself with some sort of chimera, a uh, uh, wish list of uh, climate right. change, you know, that, that no one really believes. Certainly not the sweet yeah. prime minister. I, I don't even know if it's Sweden, but it's some prime yeah. minister who, who rides a bicycle the last hundred meters because she really doesn't believe the nonsense that she's uh. And I thought it was pretty funny. I think her assistant, I think it was her assistant was riding behind. He had a yeah. uh, satchel bag on. He's he's trying to catch up to her. Oh, well, you know, and Pete Buttigieg has done the same thing. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's riding in his armored limo, whatever he does. And, and just okay. before he arrives at the photo op, he gets out and gets on the bicycle and rides the last hundred meters of show or so to show him arriving. And of course, the media, compliant as they are, anti-fossil fuel as they are, will show him dutifully arriving on the bicycle without showing uh, this, uh, the Potemkin village facade that is actually, right. actually going on. You know, the, the fun thing is uh, my uh, young millennial partner, if you would, and also partner in crime on the podcast, our daily show, he is cool. He's a young millennial and he and I talk every morning at six 
Uh, dude does not, he's a hardworking dude. We've, uh, automated businesses and everything else. So he's one of those millennials. I don't mind going into business with. So yeah, they're out there. Yeah. Well, yeah, they certainly are in, in large numbers. Uh, but yes. the fact is that, that, you know, you can either bear this brand that has been, you know, I, you know for the most part, it might be, like active, that. I don't know, but, but you can bear this brand and say, no, well, I'm one of the 40% who is uh, different than this brand. And I want to distinguish and differentiate myself in ways that are meaningful to you. Right. I, I can help you create value uh, and I can do so unlike my compatriots. So it becomes a kind of a, a double-edged sword yeah. that you can cut both ways here in a good way that I'm going to make myself more marketable to business. And I'm also going to dismiss the rest of these folks out here as being exactly yeah. the way you think they are. Um, so I would say that that's a good solution for uh, for young people going into oil and gas. And I might actually use that uh, in one of my uh, classes uh, next week. Oh, that, that'd be great. I'll tell you, you heard it here a second. Uh, but, you know, the fun thing is I, I wanted to retire and be a uh, professor. I was going to go get my doctorate and I loved academia and mm-hmm. wanted to go do that on my retirement. Mm-hmm. I'm a podcast host. Let's see. Podcast host, academia. I'm having <laughs> well. You'll having more fun now than you would in academia. Certainly, the way academia is uh, today. Um, yeah. I want to tell you right. Yeah, you know, academia is, is great. I mean, we we are known for unusual personalities. You know, right? right. And I love them. They they're fun to listen to. You know, but you also will find many good compatriots. But one of the greatest things is that there most everyone here, and I'm talking with faculty now, are smart people. Right. Yeah, um, in yeah. different ways. In different ways. Some people are merely misguided. Uh, they're disconnected. Especially those on the soft side of campus, right. uh, you know, not economics or, or, or business or physics and chemistry, those kinds of Stanley, things. Stanley, did you say the soft side of the Yes, camp? I did. Yes, okay, I, did. I just I, was checking. <laughs> I usually call it the dark side of campus, you know, when I'm talking. But, the, you know, the soft side of campus, the folks who, who like to, you know, like the history department, likes to right. give histories of capitalism about what we do here in the business school. And I've seen some of their syllabi. I showed one of their syllabuses to my compatriot, he reads it, he goes, this is malfeasance uh, because he's looking at the history of capitalism that doesn't mention Karl Marx or Adam Smith. Right. Uh, instead, it's got a whole lot of other stuff in there and a secondary and, and tertiary sources talking about what capitalism kind of sort of is. Right. Um, and and so so it's a uh, but yeah, but generally speaking, these are smart folks and that you can have those kinds of conversations that we're having together. But um, but once you once they find out, you know, that uh, it it doesn't really help me and my my goal to have those conversations looking the way I do. And and so so it's going to say you could do some other person invitation, but your invitation you're doing now, dude. Well, well, I tell you, I I got my Bill Clinton imitation. My voice, Bill Clinton took me, took me. uh, He was out of office by the time I, I perfected my Bill Clinton invitation. Oh, how cool. Give us one. Well, maybe you remember me. I was I was I was the governor of Arkansas. Long before I oh, took the president, we got to get you scheduled, Bill, on yeah. my podcast next week. <laughs> Man, I, I don't look like Bill Clinton. I hope, and uh, and, and no, I, you don't. But you I sure sound like. Well, it's it's a fun thing to do when I'm on when I'm doing a ver- you know verbal only kind of thing where people oh, can't yeah. see me. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah, I feel your pain. I really do, Stuart. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Case, uh, you um, know, uh, we are, we're about two more minutes running out of time, but uh, here's, here's what I want to do is I want to keep in touch with you. Cause yeah, I gotta, I, I want to have some more questions for you and we'll have you sure. back if you don't mind coming back. But, uh, you know, when I was going to Oklahoma state, Dexter Manley and, uh, 
Pat Jones was the defensive coach and, oh, Jimmy Johnson was the head yeah. coach. Wow. And, and they asked me to tutor some of the football players right. and Dexter Manley was one of them. And uh, Dexter could not read or write. And wow. they abused, the school system abused Dexter. They kept passing him all the way yeah. through. And he was the nicest guy on the planet. I love Dexter. You couldn't read. Try to teach him business law. You can't. And and so I think that's where the universities do a lot of disservice um, is by passing those kids through. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you see the other kids that I was able to help. They were phenomenal. Uh, I mean, the universities did right by them, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So just as an interjection, I love cool names. And Dexter Manley is a heck of a football name, you know? Oh, it is, isn't it? He yeah. would throw people around. Uh, I walked in on the in the practice room there and he's like, I'll be with you in a minute. And I'm like, OK, take your time. He's working out free <laughs> weight. I mean, he could squish my head like a grape. And, yeah. and I absolutely love Dexter Manley. He was a lot of fun. So anyway, what's coming around the corner for you? And what do you see coming around? So there's two questions. What's coming around for you, the corner for you personally? And what do you see coming around the corner in academia? Well, for, for me personally, I'm continuing uh, my, uh, I'm not going to call it a crusade. That makes it sound so noble. I'm continuing my voicing my, uh, my preferences in, in academia with brutal minds. I want people to simply read the book. I'd like to put a right. copy in every parent and every college student's hands. Certainly, as a back-to-school gift, it, you know, it makes it make sense for that. Um, and I'm and I'm writing, working my second book and third books actually because this book, Brutal Minds, was really more than again half again as large as it was with over 850 citations. And the yes. publisher, the publisher said, you know, you you can't publish a a 180,000 word manifesto with with 850 footnotes. So I had to cut it by more than half. And so I've got lots of material, more substantiation, more evidence for the thesis that is in Brutal Minds. Right. And I'm, I'm working on two separate books right now that kind of fantastic. I think so. I mean, I, I enjoy doing that, you know, and what's next in academia? Well, I, I see glimmers at the end of the tunnel here. I really do. You right. ask about whether I see personal things. There's glimmer on the on the the, the nation landscape, right. national landscape, and that what is going on in Florida is absolutely phenomenal. Because what you're doing is you're seeing people open their eyes, and I want right. board trustees who are supposed to be overseeing colleges and universities to start right. doing so to start exerting oversight. Because right now, think about this: college presidents, nice. this college presidents present they present their own evaluation forms to the, to the people who are supposed to be judging them. They have a board of trustees meeting where they're, here's how I'm doing. Here's how, how well I'm doing. And the board of trustees, oh, well, very good. Carry on. Here's another half million dollars in salary. Uh, that's bizarre. You know, it's, it's okay in the private world because you've got numbers right. you have to meet, but, but in the uh, university world. So we, we want to change that, I think. And I think that in Texas, Virginia, and Florida, and right. a lot of good things that I'm hearing are, you know, um, behind closed doors. It's absolutely fantastic. And so I'm going to do my best to add my voice and my energies and my influence to that movement. I love that. We will have uh, Brutal Minds in the show notes. This is going to go out to all the channels, YouTube, podcast, available uh, selfishly wherever you <laughs> listen to your podcast. But also, uh, it'll go there. We'll tag you and uh, follow up with you again, Dr. Ridgely. Thank you for stopping by. Well, thanks so much. I enjoyed the heck out of it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>